Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Season 2, Episode 20, Southern Exposure. Hello, everyone. Oh, it is always so good to be together. I hope you enjoyed the trilogy of text messages in real time. Please remember to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love the reviews, and so do others. Thank you. You know, I've been hearing from some of you with stories about your spinal cord injuries, what we call SCI. I wanted to share with you an emerging research project undertaken by the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing. I see that. I think it might be of interest to all listeners because it's about hope and potential changes in medicine. The nonprofit I See That is committed to building hope for SCI families by providing them resources in real time and navigation assistance through the maze of decision-making that a family with a loved one who is an SCI patient faces in the first hours to 30 days of injury. Well, I see that knows there are both miraculous and medically unexpected recoveries of spinal cord injured people. There are. The I see that researchers are collecting the stories and the medical records of these unexpected recoveries to further understand the spinal cord for such recoveries, working with a national team of radiologists specializing in SCI. Here's how you can be part of this exciting effort. If you are one of these miracles or unexpected medical recoveries, or if you know of someone who is, please Go to www.icthat.org. That's I-C-T-H-A-T.org, where you will find the registry information. Or you may write me at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. This registry will be an incredible source of hope. Privacy of medical information and names guaranteed. The information could lead to new scientific breakthroughs in SCI, as well as more accurate, effective, and healing ways to respond to spinal cord injury in the first hours of injury. (laughs) Exciting stuff. That's www.icthat.org. Where we are in the blink of an eye story, Billy and I were discerning many medical logistics, large medical changes, and a potential 
large change for our family. We were feeling a combination of relief of the potential possibility for Archer, hopeful that we might have a plan, and worried, wondering, was this the right choice to go to the Shepherd Center so far away? And that is if Archer's body was transportable and he was willing, all of which was up in the air. And in the backdrop of our intense discernment was the medical team at Atlanticare who did not see a bright future for Archer. They declared him to be deteriorating. I could sense their sense of failure. Well, we were all on the same page to move Archer as fast as his body would allow. It was ironic, of course, as our motivations seemed as far apart as if we lived on different planets. It was a strange few days. Billy and I had so many questions. I imagine any family would have these medical challenges and considerations to discuss. We were also up against time, as the medical team, mainly the pulmonologists this time, were doing all they could to make Archer transportable as his intake of oxygen deteriorated. What was also weighing heavily on our minds was how to give Archer the information for his consideration. He was very weak and slept most of the time. One foot in front of the other. There are many times in our lives when we are faced with very large decisions, when the signposts are not clear, and we know how a trauma can cause harm to our relational capacity and to our ability to discern, as we often have blind spots we are not aware of at the time. Large decisions require discernment, a lot of discernment. Some people might stay private and do all that thinking on their own. I chose to talk with a number of people. I felt we could do better with other opinions which we could consider. But at the end of the day, Billy and I had a big decision to make. Another irony, we were not considering if Archer might not make it. That may have been divine wisdom. It may have been a blind spot. Welcome to episode 20, Southern Exposure. Have you ever thought when you have faced big decisions about the actual direction you were facing once the decision was made? I want to explore the somatic feeling you can get when you are moving in the right direction, when you literally face a direction and it feels right. Our bodies carry so much wisdom. If you have never experienced this, I'll explore it further with you in the Companion Trauma Healing Learning, Episode 20, Southern Exposure. I imagine there has been a time 
when you two were weighing a big decision about your family, your work, your resources, your health, your life. And you experienced a breakthrough. I mean, that's happened to you before, right? Where you actually felt the movement, the energy, the chi, as the Chinese would say. Of course it has happened to you. We are all, after all, energy fields connecting with other energy fields. And when we get those knowing moments, those breakthroughs, those signs, <laughs> I think it's the angels working overtime in our lives. Little God winks, you know? Well, I had a God wink for sure this day in the story. And I'll tell you about it. So settle in. Take a breath. Settle your spirit. Anticipate something good for your well-being. Okay, here we go. Episode 20, Southern Exposure. Back to August 2015 at Atlanta Care Hospital in the Trauma Intensive Care Unit. Life can change in the blink of an eye. August 30th, Sunday afternoon, day 26. Spinal cord injury transportation, I tapped on my laptop. I had not touched a computer in almost a month. My whole life was on my phone and texts. But as the boys and I had packed the car this morning, there was my laptop the office had sent me, and Pete brought it along for me. It felt strange to be on a keyboard, almost weighted down, as my movements the last many weeks had been just me and my iPhone. It's weird that I had actually not been on a computer for a month. It would probably help with the research now. It had been such an intense day with Tara Grimes visiting from the Shepherd Center. It did not feel like a Sunday. I was floored that she came on a Sunday and found that to be extraordinary. Oh, I had prayed hard in early mass that morning. She would arrive safely and that the assessment would go well. It was more than that, though. I had been pleading with God. Please, Lord, lead us out of Atlanticare. Our relationship with medical staff seemed to be deteriorating too once they declared that there was nothing else they could do for Archer. Nothing was advancing him. But it's not the way I saw it. I felt that there were things to help Archer. They were just not at Atlanticare. Please, please, Lord, help us find the other ways. Get us out of Atlantic City. I caught myself, though, as if my seventh grade teacher, Sister Genevieve, back at Blessed Sacrament School in Springfield, Illinois, had just given me the hairy eyeball. 
about not praying too hard for what you want, but trusting God and praying to stay close to him in your turmoil. Oh, my Lord, I did love that nun. She was six foot two, and she wore her big white nun habit and tennis shoes. She always had a coach's whistle hanging around her neck next to her big crucifix. I changed my prayer to asking God to lead us where we needed to go. But I so wanted out of Atlantic here. I was tired of nurses who seemed to care less about sleeping in quiet time, who barged in and talked loudly. I was tired of doctors who only stopped by every three or five days for two minutes. And I was tired of some of the nursing staff. I mean, many of them were wonderful. But I was tired of some of them who continued to trip over the big tubes jammed into Archer's chest, never apologized, and jammed them back in him like a straw in a plastic McDonald's cup. I was ready to go, too. I wanted the best for Archer. Archer Semft, he had a life ahead of him. I wanted the best. Billy scolded me and told me to cut it out when I talked that way. But that did not deter me. It may have sounded arrogant, but that's not how I felt. I knew Archer could do well somewhere else if we could just get him there to the right people. I could sense that there was something else. We just had to get there. I had busied myself much of the day with calls about transport and insurance. It was weird because I was making calls about something I knew nothing about. And the hospital didn't seem to know either. I asked the insurance lady and I asked the case manager assigned to Archer if they could recommend transportation companies and spinal cord rehab places for Archer. They said they could not, that it would be against hospital policies. I said, hospital policies? Why? I really wanted to say, are you kidding me? We need help. And I said to the insurance woman, truth is, we want to go as badly as you want us to go. But she didn't even have a list of transportation places to take someone like Archer. That really amazed me. How were we to get out of there? Surely, a level two hospital on the Atlantic seaboard in Atlantic City, no less, has patients from all over who have come for summer entertainment. I asked if they could provide a list of specialized spinal cord injury rehab centers. Neither resource person had such a list other than places they referred to within the Atlantic City geographical area. And both told me it was not their job to know. Wow. 
That was amazing to me too. Oh, I was catching on all right that we were on our own at Atlantic Care. And I didn't want to just take Archer anywhere anyway. I did want the best for him. And I did feel in my body that the next few weeks or whatever it was would be very critical for his future. What else was out there? So when Tara Grimes swooped in and it all happened so fast, thanks to friends and the Christopher Reeve Foundation, I learned what else was out there. There were specialized spine centers in the United States. It was a sober reality that Atlanticare was not going to help us find those places. And it was my first brush, but not my last, with feeling like we were falling through the institutional cracks. And I realized we had to find a different way. I would like to change our predicament for other SCI families and make available a list of other places. I want to shout it from the rooftops all over the country from all the hospitals. There are specialized spinal cord injury rehab facilities. Even a tour on the internet got me buried. But it was such a huge piece of information that my ongoing calls from the family waiting room and my discussions in and out all day long with Tara Grimes was yielding spinal cord injury is highly specialized. And most rehab places are not equipped to handle a newly injured spinal cord injury patient. And I couldn't find any that could handle Archer as soon as I said he was on a ventilator, even though he really wasn't even on a ventilator successfully. Okay, so we were getting the transmission of data, which was big and sobering, but it did not change our situation or the way I felt. The reality was, and I was just beginning to find the words to be able to say the words, Archer was a C5 first quadriplegic complete paralyzed from the neck and shoulders on down with collapsed lungs, not able to breathe on his own, not able to take in oxygen with three chest tubes. Oh, hopefully only two by tomorrow and on a pacemaker. He was not a viable candidate for too many places, but he was going to have a life if someone could just believe in what was possible. The hours wore on and Tara's assessment was taking a very long time. And I learned it was because of Archer's fragile condition and because the hospital was not producing the necessary medical records. I was beginning to feel a creeping sense of anger at Atlantic Care. I mean, Come on, 
This was the shepherd center here. But they were neither cooperating nor even knew who the shepherd center was. That lessened my confidence, actually, that they had said they had never heard of them before when they were a trauma center. How were we to get out of here? And where do we go? Oh, I felt like dropping to the floor again at God's mercy. I put my hand in my pocket and I felt the round rosary beads and the smooth, small, blue lapis lazuli rock I turned over in my fingers. I clung to them all and said a prayer to stay steady. Have faith, Louise, and trust in the divine source. I went back in Archer's room. It was now late afternoon. I felt the urge to tell Tara Grimes all about who Archer Semp was. As I quietly knocked and was allowed to enter, I smiled and whispered that I hoped I was not intruding. She told me Archer was resting between her assessments as he lay there with his eyes closed and looked to be sleeping amidst the various beeps and blip sounds of the many machines monitoring and keeping him alive. I beckoned Tara over to a corner of the room, and I sort of burst into telling her about Archer in a whisper that was probably too loud for our healing sanctuary. Tara, we need to get Archer out of here. I don't think Atlanticare knows what they're doing anymore. They've kept Archer alive, but there have also been costly mistakes. Archer's not meant to perish in this hospital. We need to move him out. I want you to know who Archer is. That boy in that bed over there, he's six foot three and in perfect health, but for this injury. He's strong. He's an athlete. He knows how to practice and he understands the long game. He has played sports his entire life. He's a rising junior and was headed to the varsity teams in both soccer and lacrosse at a school that takes national and state championships. He's a good team player. He makes people laugh. He's witty. He loves the water and is an avid swimmer. He participated in swim meets all his growing up summers. He's got good lungs. He's a great basketball player, too, and he plays a wicked game of croquet. He loves to have fun with his friends. He's super smart. He's a straight-A student, and he chose his high school not because they are the best in the state in many sports, but because they just built a new STEM building, and Archer loves math. He can make up rules and games and will always beat you at Monopoly and poker. He's adored by his three brothers and his sister. Our family, we're Catholic, and he has a strong faith. He loves school. He wants to return to school with his friends as soon as he can. He told me that. He wants to graduate from high school on time. 
I want to help him do that. He's a beautiful artist. He's very creative. He can paint and draw. He can design anything in a new way. And also, in a very realistic way, if that's what it's all about. I mean, he could draw you with a pencil and it would look just like a black and white photo. Really precise and accurate. And he cooks that way too. He's a great cook. He makes the menus and designs the food signs where he worked. He was entered because he had a job cooking on a hot grill at the ocean. And he went out to take a dip and cool off in the ocean. He has a huge life ahead of him. We just have to get him out of here and to the right place. Please, do you see his potential? Please help us. Can you? Tara told me about the Shepherd Center and their adolescent unit. She said they emphasize finishing school and they have a school liaison. I also learned they have an art program. It all sounded too good to be true. Can he go? How long does he stay? How do we get him there? She told me about the lengths of stay, usually eight to ten weeks. She said they are known for getting patients off the ventilator because many hospitals do not understand spinal cord injury. She also said they had accommodations for up to 30 days for family members as part of the program. Did she think they could get Archer off the ventilator and oxygen? She said that was one of their specialties. She also said the Shepherd Center was hard work, four to six hours a day. I said Archer Semp is one of the hardest workers I know. I looked at Archer, breathing so faintly, but I knew he could do it. I just knew it. Billy had driven back to the hospital with Dutch. Our plan was that Dutch and I would drive back to Baltimore for Dutch to begin school the next day. I had so much information to share with Billy, all that I was learning from Tara throughout the day, how I had seen Archer shrug his shoulders on one exam. I had learned about levels of function and what Archer has now, the ability to shrug his shoulders, but the potential to build his bicep with electrical stimulation so he could use his shoulder and bicep to lift the top of his arm, potentially, and that I had seen him intently focus on watching Tara moving his wrist back and forth which he was not able to do on his own. But I could see his intensity. That exhausted him, though, and he fell back to sleep. I told Billy everything and what I thought we needed to talk with Archer about, including hard work, school, peers, but being away from family and friends. 
It was so much. Billy and I talked about medical insurance and qualifying for coverage, many bills for our home and our kids' education, and Baltimore mediation. Billy was our COO and accountant, making sure the operations worked, which were strained by our absence for over a month at that point. We fretted over my mediation and facilitation business and all the cancellations that we could foresee and the contracts we might not be able to fulfill. And we also lamented what would not happen with our new book that we had co-authored and had so many high hopes for. And we talked about God. And we talked about the devil. And we talked about the kids and starting school. We also talked about our unspoken contract to all our children and to our parenting. I knew it was not easy for Billy. While he had said okay to the Shepherd Center earlier, I could tell by our phone calls throughout the day that he was back to not wanting Archer to leave Baltimore. I remember it so clearly. I said to Billy, Billy, we don't have any options in Baltimore. And he said to me, find one, Louise. Oh, I remember so clearly the moment, feeling that icy sting. It told me Billy was in a bad place. He was right, though. I probably could if I'd wanted to. But things had changed. I turned to Billy as we waited on Tara's final assessment. Pleading, I said, Billy, it's Archer. We want the best for him. The best for him is not in Baltimore right now. Shepard has an adolescent unit. They are geared for school. They will work with McDonough. He will have peer support. It's going to be okay. Yes, it is going to be very hard. It's going to be very, very hard for Archer. But he can do this. I know he can. He will have a life, Billy. He's an athlete, an artist. We are going to get his arms and hands back for him. We will. We have to. I was crying. Please, Billy. And he said, who will go with him? I was stunned. I'd always thought I would. But I was stunned. Oh, my God. I had had such a blind spot. Billy is his dad. Billy loves Archer so much. I have to work. I looked at him, and I noticed how distressed and sort of disheveled he looked. 
I said to Billy, we both can go. Or you can. I thought I would, but maybe I should stay with Dutch and work. He just turned and walked out of the room. And I don't even know where he went. He was gone a while. It was so, so hard. I had the opportunity to interview Tara Grimes, who is an access case manager with the Shepherd Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and was the person who evaluated Archer on this day in the story. This will be a longer excerpt than normal. Tara is an occupational therapist by background, and she was a stranger to me in August of 2015, but she came into our lives as a rescuer. She was a hero to me, uh, steeped in spinal cord injury expertise and arriving to assess Archer when we were at Atlanticare and the hospital had declared that they were out of options to assist Archer any further or to keep him alive. I am just so thrilled and happy to have and to see you again, Tara, and just welcome. Welcome to Thank Blink you. of an Eye. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to see you again also. It's good. It is good. It, it, it's like, oh, yes, there she is. <laughs> we do have this unique opportunity to look back. Uh, I started these, you know, five years after the uh, Archer's injury, and now it's been six because Blink of an Eye podcast has now been with weekly episodes for a year. But we, you and I, can look back at, at that time and I have loads of questions, you know, general questions, questions about your background. I know our listeners would like to hear so much about what you do and what you actually do look at. In some ways, it doesn't matter where, where we start, but maybe, maybe you could tell us if you even remember the situation at Atlanticare. I do. I remember that. Um, I always remember my adolescents and their families. So I don't know why it's something that sticks out to me when I'm, and I try to go on site um, and visit the patients and the families. So that's something that we, we try to do at Shepherd is get to the hospitals and visit with the families. So it's a little bit of not only an evaluation of the patient and seeing if we're going to be a great match and we, you know, that Shepherd's going to be a help that patient, but also to inform the family and educate the family and the patient in regards to their injury. So whether, you know, in Archer's case with a spinal cord injury, and he had a lot of other medical complications. And the room was set up completely different than, you know, from when I remember you had a very, you know, the lights were dim and the music was on. And it was, you know, usually when we go into the hospital rooms, we, I call them the French fry lights. They've got the lights on and the TV and it's very busy. And it was a calming atmosphere. So I do remember that because that's a totally different experience than what I do usually go to. I was struck by this being her first memory six years later. Isn't that amazing? Our healing sanctuary was calming. And I hope all families create a healing sanctuary for their loved one. While that was Tara's first memory she shared during our interview, mine with her was a feeling of gratitude. 
like I was flooded all over again with this sensation of warmth and new life, like being rescued into a new beginning. I think connection with someone who really understands your complicated situation and has some valuable expertise you need can create the feeling of hope and possibility. Oh, gosh. Yes. I love that you remembered that. I called it our healing sanctuary where we were playing really soft sounds of nature and mm-hmm. had pictures of Archer's friends and all those prayer flags and kept the lights low, but made sure that there was that natural circadian rhythm. So he would know <laughs> when it was his body would know when it was day and when it was night and he had essential oils. So it smelled mm-hmm. really lovely and that you remember that that's really beautiful. Thank you for remembering that. <laughs> we we really believe that that was part of um, lifting the vibration for Archer's healing. You were kind of like at the wit's end, like you like you were getting no from the places closer because I know you were looking at um, Kennedy Krieger and it, it was just kind of saying, okay, there is a place that I think we could we could get Archer to, you know, and sitting down and talking with you and, and kind of educating you on like, this isn't how, you know, this isn't the end at just at Atlantic care. Like there, there can be a future, you know, we don't know exactly what that looks like and how much function he'll get. Um, but I think kind of sitting down and, and, and giving you guys a little hope because I felt like you guys were just, that you all were just tired and you weren't, you were at your kind of way, you were kind of figuring it out and the, and the hospital really wasn't, I mean, I think they were just ready to transition. And I think it was helping you guys kind of get to that next level mentally and, and emotionally. It's like, okay, it's ready. You know, we can move on to, to, to rehab and there is a place that could take care. Yeah. Um, That your memory is, is right on. You know, the release of information into the hands of those who understand other possibilities has the chance to change our medical care and potentially our futures. So much is dependent on good information reviewed by those who understand it and believe what is possible. So when you are deployed, um, I mean, tell me about what it's like when you get the call, when you get your call or, or what, how, how do you get to us? <laughs> so each at Shepherd, there are um, access case managers and territories. So my territory specifically is the Mid-Atlantic um, and part of the Northeast. So um, New Jersey, New York, those all happen to be part of my territory. So we have to get a referral directly from the hospital. Um, and we ask for all the clinical information. So we're asking for the HNP, um, all the consults, all the surgeries. Oh, yes, I can remember it all now. Tara was delayed because the medical records were not forthcoming, and then she was not able to give us a definitive answer the day of her physical assessment because the Shepherd medical team had not yet had a chance to review Archer's records. Atlanticare only sent a partial record, as it turns out, but even that was voluminous enough. It was read over the next two days, Monday and Tuesday, 
while we waited, not knowing on pins and needles. And you can imagine that was a lot <laughs> looking at archers. We had lots of surgeries and lots of consults. Um, and we go through all of that clinical to make sure that medically the patient's appropriate. Are we going to be able to meet this patient's needs? And then we reach out to the families to set up an on-site to come and visit with them. Um, lately, unfortunately, we've been doing telephonics because of COVID, but um, typically we try to get on-site within 24 to 48 hours and meet with the families. In our world, it makes it, especially when you're thinking about coming from another state, multiple states away to Atlanta, kind of, e and this is what families have told me, kind of eases their minds a little bit. It makes it, when you actually have a physical person there giving you information, going over the information with you, and it's not only like an evaluation of the patient, but it's also, you know, a, a kind of an interview for Shepherd. Like, is this where you want to come and be? Because, you know, the length of stay can be significant uh, depending on the injury. Um, you know, we have a patient that has no medical complications, you know, and is, is a C5 quad who's not on the vent, who doesn't have any other issues. They're still going to be there eight to 10 weeks. You know, so two months away from home, they're lifting themselves up and coming to another state. So if that's kind of how we would look at it clinically first, we're looking at the patient in a med very medically, clinically vision, and then we kind of go and start the education and then see if they're going to be the right fit for Shepherd and we're going to be the right fit for, for the families and the patient. Yeah, I, I remember um, experiencing that. Like it was, you were educating us ab about Shepherd, and I also felt that you were seeing if if, if we were right for Shepherd. It was mm -hmm. um, definitely, it felt like that two-way street. You know, when you speak of um, all of the records, do you remember how you tried to get the records from Shepherd and they wouldn't release them? Um, and then you had been, you texted me that um, like, Louise, they said the family won't release the medical records. And we were like, what? Oh, yes, I remember that. <laughs> because I was where, uh, because we were, we had, I'd spoken with Bernadette, um, and her, she reaches out to me and Sarah Morrison, who is now our CEO. And, you know, that was kind of the first communication. And I was like, I don't mind calling the case manager and saying, you can you send these records? So, you know, we tried, to, and, and for the most part, the case manager, social worker, I mean, 99% of the time, they send the referral, you know. I don't know their, whether they didn't know, like, understand what Shepherd was or how we could, you know, help Archer. Um, so, yeah, I, I remember that being, like, there's there was this disconnect of how we were going to get those medical records. Because, honestly, for me, I, I want to be as knowledgeable on the patient before I come and see them. Um, because... You want you don't want to give people false hope, but you also want to be help, hopeful. Um, and so knowing exactly what's going on and giving them the most education of like, this is where his level is and this is what we're seeing and this is why we're seeing these things. And this is could be his potential. Um, but and then all comes from kind of looking at that clinical information first. And and that's not a hospital that we get a lot of referrals from. So we have some hospitals that we are very, you know, that tend to send a lot of their young patients, general, younger patients, adolescents, and they're like we say, they're they're trauma surgeons, they're neurosurgeons, have knowledge of what Shepherd can do and what 
why they patients would come. And honestly, that had been the first time. And I can tell you the last time that I've ever been to the Renegade. I've never been there since um, seeing Archer. They have not, I've never seen another referral from them. It is just, I think the, the point to mark is just how much confoundedness, you know, kind of muddling through can happen when people are just not aware of what needs to happen and what the possibilities are. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I certainly too had never heard of, I didn't even, I'd never even heard of the Christopher and Dana Reed foundation when, when Bernadette had first called me. Um, and then I had not ever heard of Shepherd Center and, and now <laughs> I, mean, I just can't even like when people like haven't heard of Shepherd or Christopher and Dana Reed, will be like, really? Oh my gosh. Yeah, you know, well, let you me tell that. you all about them. <laughs> that's not your world. Remember, that's the thing. It's like, if that's not your world, I mean, people, I mean, we have people that live in Atlanta that have like, and I'm, you know, they've never heard of the Shepherds. And I'm like, it's this huge building and 150, but if you have never experienced a traumatic or non-traumatic spinal cord brain injury, you, you might not, unless you've seen it like in passing on the news or something like that, or somebody that, you know, you knew might have it, but yeah, it's not, it's, it's learning something completely new for most people. Yeah, no, I think it's very, very true. And, um, and then it just is a wonderful reminder of, you know, just from an educational perspective to be able to tell, tell people, you know, you never know what will come up. It's amazing what we know when we need it or what we learn, right? Well, I wanted to learn what the experience with us was like for Tara. I'm thinking about when you did arrive and I met you and you were coming over the bridge and it was kind of a a little funky way of where you park because Atlantic Care shares a parking garage with Caesars Palace, you know, the big casino. (laughs) (laughs) I thought uh, that was very strange because I think I ended up spending the night before flying back um, because we were there for quite, I think I was with you all for most of the day right? you were with us a full day yeah in fact I'd love to talk talk about that I mean what goes into your assessments I knew I know you had wanted to meet um, Billy my husband and I and our son Pete was also there before he went back to college mm-hmm. but I and so I I didn't know if that was like regular protocol and then I'm like oh I can't wait to find out from Tara like what goes into assessments what are you looking for um, whom do you want to talk with? etc. So tell us about um, that. So for our assessments, you know, obviously the clinical information, and then we're looking at the patients, we're looking at uh, where they are right now. So, and, you know, unfortunately, Archer was so very sick and he did, I think he opened his eyes and, and listened. Um, we kind of went over some things, engaging with the patient and kind of seeing where they are um, emotionally and mentally, like if they're ready for this kind of rehab, because Shepherd is a pretty aggressive rehab. I mean, it's it's a younger rehab, and we want patients that are going to um, engage in that rehab and and give it 110% because that's what the staff is going to do. And so, you know, to get those outcomes that, that Shepherd is famous for, that is really having those people that are kind of invested in that. Um, so that, for me, I'm looking at that, like, is does the patient want this? You know, are they going to be ready to do this? And with Archer, it was kind of a little difficult, but, you know, he had been so sick. 
but you giving me prior knowledge of kind of what his background was with the lacrosse and you know his working summer and being you know an athletic engaged with people and think and you know just seemed like a normal typical 16 year old that you know he eventually when we could get him to that point that he would be able to do those things you know in rehab and you know kind of when we sit down with the families um is seeing the same engagement you know what are they going to be there? Because part of the you know the success of, of rehab is also they see what their independence levels can be, but also what their limitations will be, and if the family is going to be there to engage and help out, you know, because ultimately we want that patient to discharge home and we want them to be as high functioning as possible. And sometimes that is, you know, with the help of those caregivers. So and and easing the kind of minds with the family. So I always say, when I go to evaluate, I, I want anybody to be there that, that is going to be part of the care. You know, as long as the patient is okay with that, I, I don't mind. I've had 20 people in an evaluation and I've had, or just one. Um, anybody that wants to hear and be educated it, I'm, I'm all for it. You know, and I think that almost all of us access case managers are the same way. We don't really limit that. You know, sometimes it's limited on how many people can be in the hospital, but, um, for me, it's, you know, I like to see that engagement and I want them to, to learn and be knowledgeable about it. Um, so that's kind of part of our assessments is kind of seeing how engaged and then, and the ready the family is for this, for this rehab. Um, because that, you know, getting the family involved is going to be, is, is big. And like, you know, as an experience at Shepherd is, you know, it's very family oriented. I do remember what I think of now, just sort of painting the picture of who Archer was, mm-hmm. um, that he was this, you know, great kid. He was tall and athletic and he was artistic and he was smart and he was funny and he was really social, very social, very, well loved he had so many friends and and I, I remember doing that with with his surgeons too um and then any anybody because you how is anybody supposed to know when you've got you know a young kid just lying there completely motionless oh, um, yeah. Tara Grimes the assessor from the shepherd center who had flown in just to see us had left after a long day. I felt very hopeful, even though she was not able to give us a final assessment until the medical records arrived and were reviewed. I knew it would be all about Archer's lungs. After she left, a most extraordinary thing happened. Billy and I were doing one of our practiced changing of the guard routines with his taking over sentinel duty for Archer, with the hope that Archer might turn the corner this night and be declared strong enough for transport as I headed to the car to wait for Dutch to join me to head back to Baltimore. We were giving Dutch some private time with Archer as we knew Dutch wanted to say goodbye. So much had happened today. We honestly weren't sure when the next time would be the Dutch would see Archer. It felt a little surreal leaving when Archer was so fragile. But it also was like, of course there will be a next time. We just don't know if it's this coming Labor Day weekend or what. 
We had to head back. Dutch started his first day of school the next day, and I had that large facilitation I had been working on all summer that would help keep our family and staff payroll going. But I was uneasy leaving Archer. Billy and I were still in the hallway together outside of Archer's room, and as I began to walk down the corridor, I turned back to Billy and said, Hey, it'd be nice if you wrote an update for us. And out of the blue, as a complete non sequitur, Billy looked right at me and said, I think you should go to the Shepherd Center, Louise. You're the better of the two of us to be with him. You need to go. I was struck. But it was like a gift. Yes, it was the most incredible, selfless gift I had ever received. And it was from my husband. That one offering had so much history behind it. Two mediations over the years and a couple in the last month about Archer. But there was always the underlying tension of my working and being a mom. All I wanted was to be a mom by Archer's side. But I was a breadwinner for our family. And Billy and I had made that decision years ago together. I think you should go to the Shepherd Center, Louise. Oh my God. The strength that took for Billy to tell me that. But I felt released. Thank you, God. I was so moved. I felt elated and also sad for Billy. And I worried about our family all at the same time. I said to Billy, are you sure? He hung his head and said softly, I thought about it. And I just can't do what you can do. You're stronger than I am. I was blown away. But this was a kindness I knew was authentic, Billy. And he continued. I just can't be tough on Archer. Not how he is now. And I know you can. And I know you will. And I know you'll make him work to get better. And that will make it worth it for you both to be away. It was a moment and a gift I will never, ever forget. I felt like I was restored to what I had wanted to be my whole life. Ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to be a mom. This is what a mom 
does. It was also a truce. Everything Billy said, we both knew was true. I said to him, thank you, Billy. We'll figure out a way for you to come often. Archer needs you too. <laughs> Billy, I don't think I'll be able to work. And he said, I know, it's okay. We'll figure it out. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love, hope, or everything. Obtain everything. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. You may continue listening this Saturday to the Season 2 Trauma Healing Learnings that accompany this story at Trauma Healing Learning 20 Southern Exposure. We're on Facebook, Instagram, at Blink of an Eye Pod. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening and telling your friends about Blink of an Eye. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation. I See That is a multidisciplinary nonprofit that provides tangible support, trauma healing education, and advocacy for those experiencing crisis or trauma. To donate, please visit www.icthat.org. That's the letters I-C-T-H-A-T dot O-R-G. Every dollar counts.